Welcome to the Active Faith Podcast, where faith meets an active lifestyle. My name is Andrew Ware. I am your host, and I am the Running Rev. This is not just any other podcast about an active lifestyle, but join us as we unpack the why behind our activity and how we connect it to our faith. I'm having conversations and exploring journeys of others as we help to build a theology of self-care, exploring how we care for ourselves by being active in whatever way feels best for us. This is episode 23, and my guest today is Lindsay Geis. You will hear that Lindsay uh, serves in a almost a self-care kind of role in her conference in North Georgia as a uh, pastor in an extension ministry, ordained as a deacon. We'll get into what that means, but Lindsay brings this great perspective of both a mental wellness, uh, someone who works in the mental health field, as well as someone who is practicing mental health and self-care on her own. And so I invite you along today as we dive into Lindsay's journey and how Lindsay practices self-care and how she encourages others to do the same. So let's hop into our conversation. All right, today we welcome in Lindsay Geist. Lindsay is a pastor in the United Methodist Church, an ordained deacon, actually. So I always love to get deacons on here. Uh, For those of you who are not a part of our uh, United Methodist world, and this is probably new to you, uh, I'll let Lindsay describe what a deacon means in a minute, uh, but she is serving in a role uh, with her conference. And so, Lindsay, how are you doing today? I'm doing great today. So, so we always like to start out here at the beginning, uh, and I gave that introduction uh, kind of to get our people a little bit of uh, connection with who you are, uh, but let's hear from you, and I'd love to hear a little bit more in depth about your role as an ordained deacon in the church, but who are you, and where, where are you from, and how are you active? Okay, lots of questions, getting yeah. to know you questions. Um, I am currently located in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, grew up most of my life here, um, and left for college and seminary, uh, and my other graduate degree, and then eventually made my way back home to the North Georgia Conference of the Methodist Church. Um, I, like I said, uh, I referenced going to seminary and having another degree. I have my master's in divinity, as well as my master's in social work. Um, and I'm a licensed clinical social worker. So that, in essence, while it sounds really long and complicated, means that I am trained as a mental health therapist. And so my work has always been in the intersection of the church and mental health and mental well-being. Um, And so I am a deacon, uh, ordained deacon in the Methodist church, and there are two tracks being a deacon or being an elder. An elder is often called to order the life of the church. So uh, you will see them as pastors in charge, leading the church. A deacon is called to specifically to call to serve as a bridge between the church and the world. So a lot of times you will see see us serving in very specialized ministry, um, both inside the walls and outside the walls of the church. Um, For me, I have always served outside of the walls of the local church, um, be it anywhere from inpatient mental health and detox to uh, the homeless shelter to working at a children's home, um, have a counseling private practice, um, 
and a couple years ago came on staff at the North Georgia Conference, um, focusing on clergy, mental health, and well-being overall. And how are you active? How am I physically active? Just any way um, at all. <laughs> I absolutely love to run. There you go. Um, that is the way that I clear my head the best. I know that at uh, the end of a long day, um, it is helpful for me to go run a few miles to shake off the day. Um, that practice really got started uh, when I was working at the homeless shelter system in Atlanta, uh, that it was always working in the crisis setting. And so my adrenaline was always up during the day, never quite knowing what I was going to address. Um, and so I needed a way to separate the day and care mm -hmm. for myself uh, between the work side and all that adrenaline and then decompress into my personal side. And so I didn't pick up running till my late twenties, um, which is a little unusual and, um, fell in love with it and used that as my decompression mode. Um, I found during the pandemic, especially, uh, that when I was getting stressed or when I couldn't finish sorting something out in work during the day, uh, when I had more flexibility and wasn't in an office, um, I would just lace up my running shoes and go out for an hour run and come back. And almost always I was able to sort out, uh, whatever had been stumping me along the way. Um, so it's both keeps me healthy and creating boundaries and is a way for me to, uh, get out of feeling stuck. And I love that you've taken that into, you've, you've sort of taken that understanding into where you are in your ministry and in your vocation mm -hmm. and the way that that plays a role in not just allowing you to be in a good headspace and a good mind space, just as a person, but also as someone who is dealing with people with their own um, mental health dilemmas, problems, mm -hmm. however you want to identify it. Uh, and to name that, that that is a place in which the church seeks to help others as we continue to do this. And that's why here, and that's why in the United Methodist Church, I think it's so cool that we have that role of deacon in the church. We can't all just take on this role of lead pastors of the church, but mm -hmm. we've identified that there's this nature in which the church also needs to be, there also needs to be this bridge between the local church and then the world outside the local church. Mm -hmm. And to, to build those bridges, it's often very tough. You know, I mean, I am an ordained elder and I am at a local church and, and sometimes it's tough to, you know, always be in the church, outside of the church and to cover all of those yeah. roles. And this role of deacon, I have always loved. My mother-in-law is a deacon um, and serves uh, currently as a substitute teacher in an elementary school. And it's so cool to see how those bridges are being built. Um, and the reason that I bring it up is because in that, we get both aspects of what it looks like to serve in both ministry and vocation, because mm -hmm. your vocation is your ministry in, a, in mm -hmm. a completely different mindset. Whenever we think of ministry, we always think of the work that we're doing in the church. And to name that you're doing work in the church, but you're also doing ministry in your vocation as a mental health counselor. And so I want to kind of back us up a little bit, uh, maybe to uh, the younger version of Lindsay before she got into all of these uh, great and fantastic things and her calendar got full of all of these meetings and podcast recordings. <laughs> 
where did you discover your love for mental health? I would say that I really responded to uh, my calling and was seeing it playing out in college. Um, I went to SMU, Southern Methodist in Dallas, uh, Texas, and um, had actually had no plans of going into uh, ministry in any capacity, um, had always been really active in the church, um, but had just uh, kind of been involved in the Wesley Foundation, served on leadership, enjoyed learning and growing, um, and then found myself in college continuing to be present with people in these ordinary and extraordinary moments, um, people that were both inner circle close friends um, and acquaintances that would come and say, I just needed somebody to sit with me in this. And it really made me start uh, prayerfully listening and discerning of what does it mean to be invited into sitting in those spaces with people. Um, and from there, I, I am somebody that I, I didn't want to just sit in it, um, kind of, I, I recognized the honor of that moment uh, with people and felt like to be able to serve them well and love people well, I needed to be more equipped to do so. Mm -hmm. um, and so I knew that I wanted to go to more schooling to be able to do that. I don't think that in the moment I would have described it as like my love or interest in mental health. I think that I just knew that I wanted to sit with people in hard moments and it came naturally to me. Um, and I needed uh, more tools to be able to do that more effectively. And it, it brings into this, uh, it brings into this understanding the nature of, of how we care for others. Mm -hmm. And especially in our role as not just leaders in the church, but just church going folks, people who profess faith, there is that deep connection to wanting to care for other people. And in that care for other people can often come uh, this mm, toxic relationship. Yep. Uh, and it's it's one of the things that I want that I that I want to explore in in creating wanted to explore in creating this podcast is is sort of that toxic relationship of only caring for other people, and so in order, I think at least and 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 feel free to maybe disagree with this, but I think in order to find that love to care about other people's mental health, we often have to first care about our own mental health. Mm -hmm. um, and so when you're talking about this journey, as you're in college, care, beginning to care for, sit and listen to other people, uh, what is that beginning to do to your own mental health? Maybe, I mean, not, I'm not trying to like, you know, yeah. go down in a dark direction, <laughs> but, but maybe what are some, what is that bringing up in your own conscious as you're talking to other people, as you're sitting with other people, not even in a mental health capacity, but just in a friend capacity, what sort of mm -hmm. mental health understanding is that bringing up for you? Yeah, I think that um, it reminded me that I needed to be healthy to have the capacity to care for other people. Um, I started this trick a really long time ago. Um, it doesn't work quite as well now that we've gone digital on all our calendars. Um, but back with my paper calendar, 
I started color coding uh, my paper calendar, uh, which I'm sure you're probably already laughing and rolling your eyes like, Lindsay, where is this going? Mm. Um, <laughs> but I color coded my calendar kind of based on a few key areas of like, what were my school commitments, like papers, tests, things like that. What were my uh, clubs and leadership opportunity, you know, that kind of commitment level. What were my social opportunities? what were uh, kind of my church commitments and personal stuff and other stuff. So I started this full color coding system. Um, when I started feeling really off um, and not like myself, we have all had those days mm -hmm. where we, or weeks where we just start feeling really out of sorts and we kind of go, okay, what's going on? And sometimes it's super clear what has thrown us out of sorts. And sometimes we cannot put our finger on it. I'm like, why do I just not feel like me? And so I started going back to my color coded system of like, what color do I have too much of? Or what color is not showing up here? Because that is my quick visual cue of what thing might be overrunning my life or what thing might be lacking. And so that was my early on, like, tip that I started trying to use on myself um it does not solve everything but it mm -hmm. is a it is a quick early intervention for me to be able to kind of name that about myself and I think it helps us to understand a little bit deeper how we always need to be aware of those different areas and facets of our life right we can't mm -hmm. solely be in one area and when we talk about this intersection between mental health and vocation I mean, at least for me, you know, my mind thinks, I mean, I hope that as people listen to this, if you have a pastor that you know that your pastor is caring for themselves. Uh, but for me, who is a pastor who who has their own therapist, mm -hmm. I hope that my therapist takes care of themselves yes. because uh, they're listening to all of my stuff and they're mm -hmm. taking in all of that uh, in, in, you know, 45 minutes to an hour session. And I just hope that they have time to sort of step back and so no matter where we are in vocation, whether we are in a vocation that involves mental health, whether we're in a vocation that involves spiritual health, physical health, I mean, just anywhere yeah. in vocation, it comes down to that nature of caring for ourselves and what that looks like. And you've created this, I, I mean, I have color coding in my Apple calendar. I mean, my iCal's got all sorts I, of different I colors. I mean, I do too. It. And it is sad when you like, feel like you're running out of colors. That's when you know that you have probably color coded too much. I, I think I've created a few, I've had to create a few colors in my, in my Me iCal. Too. I'm like, I'm like all right, I need a different shade of purple for like Bible studies versus worship. This is getting, oh, this is just a oh. terrible moment of, uh, of self-confession going on here. This is great. Oh man. <laughs> But it like right, it names this it names this nature of of self care. Mm -hmm. Like I need to know exactly what is going on, and I think you're right. Like when we look at our calendars, when we look at what's going on in our lives, are we going to look at what's going on in our lives, and are we going to see like a 80, 90 hour work week where we're just completely diving in to all of the things? You know, I, as a pastor, I get that I get that symptom uh, the. I get that feeling of, I need to be at every meeting. I need to be at mm -hmm. every Bible study. I need to, like, anytime the church building is unlocked, I need to be there. Or I need to be, like, in the community all the time. And so I put all this church stuff 
on my calendar. And I'll, I'll say this, like the worst thing that I've probably done last year in ministry is I have synced my calendar with my church's calendar. So now like anytime, like there's a boy scout meeting, girl scout meeting, anytime yeah. anybody's at church, now it's all on my Apple calendar and I probably should turn it off. I really probably should. I should mm -hmm. think about that maybe. Um, but we can get in that mindset where we have to always be doing stuff. And not only is it unhealthy for just our nature of vocation, but also our, our mental health. And so we find, we, we have to find ways to care for ourselves, whether that is turning off that calendar, or maybe like you've said, like going for a run or doing something mm -hmm. active or hanging out with friends um, and what that looks like. I think it's really easy for us to uh, conflate our worth with our productivity. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why I think that self-care can be so challenging for us um, because it doesn't always produce something in that moment. And when it doesn't produce something, uh, then we have this false belief that uh, it's not giving us any worth. To others. To others. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and especially for someone who's an Enneagram three, I, I very much identify with that difficulty, uh, and am always feeling the need to be doing something for someone somewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so let's, I get, let's, let's move ourselves from that mental health discussion as we've kind of identified that need for self-care into what our self-care looks like. And most of you are probably listening are, are like, you know, okay, yeah, we've talked about mental health now. Now let's get <laughs> Let's get to what the podcast is about. No, I'm kidding. Um, but but what it looks like to to build a self care routine, and maybe looking at your own self care routine and how that has been a, a benefit of developing your own way in which you care for others, both as a mental health counselor, uh, as someone who counsels and coaches clergy as they're in transition mm -hmm. and needing their own wellness understandings in their ministry. Uh, so what does it look like for you to build a self-care routine? I think that a lot of times what I ask people first is uh, what gives you energy or what brings you joy? Um, and see if you can name a couple things. If you can build a whole long list, fantastic. If you can just name a couple things, we will start there. Um, and making sure that we have those, uh, those as uh what I kind of describe them as like the lightning cable of being able to charge your phone. Um, there are things that can give you energy and then there's things that can give you quicker fix energy. Those things that fill you up real fast. Um, they might be people, they might be an activity, something like that. And so make sure you have a few of those uh, kind of flags or moments in your life throughout the week that if you can't get the slow and steady uh, life-giving fill. Can you even build in an hour of a quick fix uh, lightning cable moment along the way? So that would be kind of the first step, I think, of building a self-care routine. Um, and the other thing I think that's critical about um, knowing when to employ your self-care routine, I mean, if we don't, the, the answer is always. Yeah. Um, but if we're not good at that, um, our bodies serve as alarm systems. And so our bodies uh, give us a heads up sometimes before our brains can even process it. 
And so if your body is starting to feel run down or you're feeling a bit sick or you're having some aches or stress or tension or pain, um, that's probably your body uh, hitting the alarm bells saying, help, something is going on here. You need to figure out what's happening and figure out how to care for me, us, my being <laughs> along the way. Um, and I think that we... Uh, don't often realize how tied our bodies are with our mental health and our mental well-being. Um, and so it can be easy to say uh, that being active it is a form of self-care, but it's also easy to write that off mm -hmm. of like, what's that going to do for me? It's going to help with some of the alarm bells that are going off. Yeah, and I might just... help you process it. I mean, for me, like I said, when I go for a run, all of a sudden it's like it jogs all my thoughts. It's because my body's giving me these alarm bells. I'm now activating my body to help with that stress and tension. So then my brain is able to kick in better. Well, and I think one of the perfect things, at least for me, with physical activity and for me, physical activity like you is running is it takes me away from everything. You know, uh, I may have my phone on me, but that is solely so that, you know, I can either take music or a completely non-church related podcast with me. Um, and I intentionally don't listen to church related podcasts on my run for that reason, because I don't want to feel like I'm working. I want to escape mm -hmm. from what I feel like is my vocation. Um, and, and for for some of our listeners, it might they might be thinking that that sounds selfish, but really that's what self-care is. It's disconnecting from, from those things that sort of is adding, uh, whether it's, whether it's that mental stress, that mental fatigue, uh, so that when we come back into that situation, we can feel refreshed. And that may sound funny, mm -hmm. you know, saying I go for a run to feel refreshed. Um, even though once I finish a run, I'm, I'm a little tired, mm -hmm. uh, but it, but it really does allow you to kind of escape from that situation. I think any sort of physical activity allows you to do that because whether it's running, cycling, you're going to the gym, uh, you're going to yoga, you're doing something like more often than not, you have to get away from your office, away from where you work. And it, and it causes you to get into a different environment where you can maybe relax a little bit and you don't have to feel as, as tense as you might at work. I found that even early on in the pandemic, I, uh, before we were tied only to zoom, yeah. um, you know, there were a few people that, uh, we would say, you know what, I'm tired of staring at the screen. Let's call each other. And I would walk mm -hmm. probably at least once a day on a work call around the neighborhood. Um, and even though I wasn't escaping from work, it was changing my scenery enough that helped clear my thoughts and better focus on that call. Yeah. And it helped me think creatively too, because I was seeing new things. I was paying attention to new things along the way. So when we say um, like exercise and everything, it doesn't have to be, I think sometimes we believe that it has to be this super intense, crazy thing. Um, but just walking around the block, mm -hmm. um, now that it's light later, I, um, I still have a private practice and see a couple clients. Um, and, uh, I finish late on Tuesday evenings and with it being light later, I 
throw on my shoes and walk around the block probably three times after I get off seeing clients in the evening, um, just to make sure that I can create some sort of routine to separate myself from the day, um, to be able to kind of come back into who is just Lindsay as a person and not only Lindsay as pastor and therapist. Mm -hmm. I think part of what clergy struggle with is that they do not create, we do not create um, boundaries there where you remember that you are you as a person and not just you as a pastor. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's a trap that, that anybody can fall into. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I remember, I'm trying to remember whether it was like high school or college. I'm trying to remember if it was related to a class, but, um, you know, a lot of times they'll, they'll ask you to like define who you are. Like, you know, Andrew, who are you? Um, mm -hmm. Twitter bio, like your Twitter bio. If you look at my, yeah. I can't remember what it says right now, but you know, I you, like husband, father, pastor, runner, mm -hmm. podcast host. And, and you think about that and have we have we limited ourselves in the way and nature in which we seek to define ourselves either by using titles um like i hate it when people call me reverend cuz one it makes me sound like i'm like 70 years old which i apologize <laughs> for anyone who likes that role title but like people at church are like what do you want us to call you i'm like andrew like i like i but you know do we become so bound by our roles in society that we forget to actually think about who we are as a person, as a human in this I, world. I think that we have started uh, getting a little confused about that, that we have listed all of those titles mm -hmm. and named them as our identity. Mm. Um, when in reality, all of those titles or roles are simply expressions of our core identity. So they are different forms and expressions of who we are at our core. Mm -hmm. And that changes how we look at ourselves um, when we just say, okay, those things are just utilizing different parts of the same inner me. It's just coming out different ways. And so what sort of role do you think that that mind shift from maybe titles to identity helps to play in the setting of boundaries in the variety of areas in our lives. Cause that setting of boundaries, I mean, that's the biggest self-care thing yeah. that we can do. And so if we're trying to talk about this transition from like our identity as titles to like our identity as human beings and sort of the titles may play a little bit of a role, but it's not our complete identity. Mm -hmm. So, so what kind of role do you maybe see in your work or just in your mindset as our ability to have that shift in mindset to play a role in setting boundaries for ourselves, not just in vocation, but in life. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, step one for an activity would be kind of to list out all of those expressions of your identity. Mm -hmm. What are, what are things that you uh, can be or are? Um, it could be parent, child, sibling, friend, uh, partner or spouse. Um, it could be, you know, pastor, therapist, uh, caregiver, all of these things, um, listing them all out and then thinking through how am I embracing those during the week? 
um, and making sure that we're not only using one of those as our identity. Um, if you uh, if you are only um, or predominantly during the week pastor, um, and you very rarely identify as spouse, mm-hmm. um, then you're I you know you're going to start believing that your only identity is in being pastor. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, after we name all those, our next step is trying to figure out how to create space for each one of those without letting only our professional portion of ourselves uh, become our only identity. If we don't create boundaries, it will, because being a pastor, um, because of how fluid the hours are and the type of work is, it is easy to bleed over all of our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have to make those other expressions of our identity. Uh, we need to elevate those and make sure that they get ample time as well. And sometimes in our lives, that means building walls mm-hmm. at certain times in order to allow ourselves to practice those different senses Mm -hmm. of identity that we feel like we have. If I feel like I'm working too much, it might be, it it might be something where, you know, I need to wall off certain portions of my week to make sure that I'm spending time with my family, to make sure that I'm uh, spending time with myself as crazy as I am. Mm -hmm. Um, Spend time with friends, you know, it, it might be that thing where I have to build those walls. And I, you know, I think there are probably some of our listeners that have probably been hurt by those walls. You know, I know that mm-hmm. a lot, a lot, I know a lot of pastors who struggle with those walls. You know, they try and take a Sabbath and then the people are like, well, how are we supposed to get a hold of you? Like, what if we need you? What if we, what if there's an emergency? And, you know, then the walls slowly start to fall down because pastors make exceptions to the exceptions to the boundary. Uh, and so when, when we're trying to build these walls up, it's about standing firm, right? And mm-hmm. I think in the way that you talk about identity and the way that we kind of don't, com- don't maybe strictly identify by the titles in our lives, but use the titles to understand our identity deeper, maybe, that we can begin to see, no, each one of these places has worth within my life, and therefore each one needs its own separate time. Um, I know I learned that a lot during the pandemic, uh, very early on in my ministry, my wife and my kids were at church every Sunday. And I thought it was a joy. I'm like, sweet. Like I can, uh, I can Mm -hmm. worship with my family. For those of you who it's an audio podcast, I'm air quoting that because I don't actually get to worship with my family. Mm -hmm. Um, but then I spent a lot of time without my family in worship and I realized it was no different, but early on in my ministry, I was kind of almost treating that like family time. And I'm like, no, I need to have like a separate time where maybe we engage worshipfully together, or we have some time where we can reflect together, both as a, as a large family. And then just as my wife and I, or just Mm -hmm. my kids and I, and I think it's those boundaries that sometimes we don't often think about that. Sometimes there are ways in which our vocation can enmesh itself with some of our other things. And so again, the boundaries begin to fall, the walls begin to fall. And I think it becomes so important for us to be able to live and exist 
in those separate spaces so that we can find care. When we create those walls, um, there probably will be some pushback mm-hmm. by congregants, by those that we love, um, because you have changed the way that the relationship is operating than it always has been. Anytime we change that pattern, we are disrupting um, kind of what was basic homeostasis Mm -hmm. there. And so everybody's got to shift a little bit. What can be a beautiful gift is that, yes, you'll still have parishioners that will say things like, you know, what if I need you? Or what if, you know, X, Y, and Z happens? Um, I worried about that a lot earlier in my ministry. Um, It is easy when people keep saying like, you helped me so much, or what would I do without you? Um, What seemed like small comments uh, really started getting ingrained in my being and believing that like I was the only one that could help Mm -hmm. or do those things. Um, I remember when I was in my, uh, uh, two times when, once when I was working in the homeless shelter, um, and I left for a few days and I was the only social worker, the only clinician there. And, um, and I had trained the rest of the staff. Here are the key questions you have to ask for triage. If they say yes to these questions, then you have to call like this mental health intervention service. The rest of the stuff, the people may feel in somewhat distress, but will be able to make it the 10 days till I'm back, then we can address it. Um, And the staff found that they got really good at asking those questions and didn't need me in the same way they previously thought that they had more, they were empowered to be able to uh, kind of intercede more than they previously thought they would. Then when I was in uh, my private practice, I mean, I was solo in my private practice at the beginning, no colleagues. Um, And so when I went on vacation, I mean, all of my clients were just kind of, uh, you know, stuck for that period of time in case something happened besides having like emergency contact numbers. One of, one of the times that I came back from a week away, I came into a client session and the client looked at me and I said, so how was your week? And they said, it was really hard. I said, oh, okay. Um, and they said, you know, I hit this moment and I really thought about calling you because I would have called you if you were here mm-hmm. and scheduled an emergency session. And I said, I'm so sorry that you felt kind of alone in that moment. What happened? And they said, I spent a lot of time thinking about it, reflecting on all the tools that we had worked on together. And I felt like I had to try using them. Mm. And they said, and it worked. And then they were able to manage the rest of the week. And they said, it was really a great opportunity for me when I would have looked to you to kind of fix and solve it, that I was forced to try it myself first. And I wonder how often we can gift our parishioners um, feelings of empowerment 
when we create walls that they need to try things on their own instead of us being the saviors and fixing things. Mm -hmm. What a gift we can give people to love them enough, love ourselves enough, but also love them enough to believe that they have the ability to do some things without us. And I mean, that's tough because like Mm -hmm. in that, that means that we're both needed and not needed at the same time. Yeah. Um, it because, doesn't feel good in no, some ways. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think both the, the best and worst thing that's probably happened to me in ministry in the last few years is uh, we took a, a vacation last summer. And uh, part of our vacation, we went up to the mountains of West Virginia to a family reunion in my uncle's family. And at the top of the mountain, uh, we had no cell phone service. So like my phone literally said no service. I like, couldn't get anything, couldn't do anything, couldn't receive phone calls, text. And so I just turned the phone off probably for the first time, like yeah. in a decade of owning a phone. <laughs> um, it was off because I had no service. Uh, and it was great because like, I would say throughout the whole time, I had moments where I was like, hmm, I wonder what's going on back at home. Like anybody does mm-hmm. during vacation. Yeah. Uh, but then part of me was like, man, it's nice to not like have my phone ring in. Like, I don't have to, I mean, for like three days, I didn't check Facebook or Instagram or anything like that. Um, and then of course you come back down the mountain. Uh, and as soon as the phone gets service again, I have a call from my lay leader telling me that someone in the church had died. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's like the, it, you're kind of like, oh man, like what it, then, then my yeah. mind is going through Oh man, like they died on Friday and I didn't get the message until Sunday when we were driving down the mountain. And I'm like, oh man, like I've gone two days, you know, it's been two days. Like was someone there? Did someone help them? You know, I start going into pastor mode. Um, And so it's, it's really interesting about being needed and not needed at the same time, you know, come to find out my, my lay leader was at the house, like when the person passed away and provided good support and care to the family uh in mm-hmm. the presence of death and you know was able to to sit with them was able to talk them through some of the process with the funeral home just based off of his experience uh with previous pastors and like I was able to get back and uh when I got back the funeral was pretty much planned and all I had to do was just preside over it um mm-hmm. and, and so I mean, you talk about being needed and not needed at the same time. You go from this moment of being like feeling free and great and and nothing's there to being like, how is everything happening? Like what's going on? And like going into pastor mode and then being like, well, they got everything handled, you know, kind of, kind of like your situation. And, and it, it makes me wonder how much that role of both caring for myself enough to know that I need the break to put those boundaries in place within my congregation of saying, okay, no, Pastor Andrew is going to be gone for this week. Um, and, and like most people in my congregation know, like if I'm gone, if I'm on my Sabbath, if I'm on vacation, like probably literally the only reason that you would need to get in touch with me is if someone dies. Mm-hmm. Um, most anything else can probably wait a day or two. Yeah. Most anything else. Um, and so setting forth those boundaries in that, that I've cared for myself enough that I have created those spaces in which other people see the care that I've had for myself. So they know how to care for others. They know how to care for themselves. 
as well. Um, and, and I know in terms of this podcast, when we start talking about that active process, I, I mean, I want to jump back to that example that you used earlier as we sort of round out this discussion now um, and move ourselves to the end of just being present and aware of what is going on within us. Mm -hmm. um, because I don't know that had I not taken care of myself, had I not maybe had that drilled into my mind in the provisional process that I necessarily would have been in the right headspace. You know, I know pastors who don't take their vacation because they've, or, or, or they'll take vacation, but they'll only take it during the week and they'll try and make sure that they're on Sunday, you know, for whatever reason. Um, but I think that at least in my mind, my running has given me that understanding of being aware of what is happening in my mind of when I need vacation mm -hmm. of when I need a moment off. Um, because I know when running, like I have to be very attuned with my body um, and, and very aware of what's going on, what's hurting, what's in pain, what's working, what's not working, what's tight, what's loose, all that stuff. And so how do we develop, uh, how do we develop that mental capacity uh, to, to be self-aware? What, what maybe can go into that process of helping us be a little bit more self-aware in those times? I think a lot of it is doing some check-in with ourselves um, and, and both physically and mentally. Um, John Wesley gave us this great phrase, I mean, years and years ago, how is it with your soul or just how is your soul? We often uh, say hi to one another in passing, like, hey, how are you? And everybody responds, good, busy, fine. Um, which as a side note, none of those are feeling words. Um, that doesn't actually answer the question. Those are just like filler phrases that we use. And, and so if we were to ask ourselves, how is our soul doing? It really feels like it changes the question um, and forces us to pause long enough to go, oh, is there something happening different in me right now? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, when I ask that question in large groups, switching from how are you to how is your soul, people say they can like feel it, the tightness of their chest or their stomachs drop or things like that, that uh, we can feel it in our bodies, even asking a question about our mental well-being. Um, the other thing that I think is important for us to do is to sit long enough to kind of uh, take 15 seconds to go, okay, body. What am I noticing? What am I feeling? Um, I, I don't know about you, but for me, anytime I pause long enough in those 15 seconds, I almost always notice my posture. Mm -hmm. That it's like, oh, that doesn't feel right. Okay, shoulders back a little bit, sit up a little bit straighter. Oh, I can feel the weight shift in my hips of how I'm even sitting. Um, that if we create these pauses during the day to even say, how is my body? What am I noticing? Uh, that that's a great start for self-care. Um, the easiest forms of self-care, I think, are physical self-care. Um, if, if we aren't feeling like ourselves, uh, step one, sleep. Uh, sleep is almost always a good answer. Um, Step two, like eat a snack. Uh, <laughs> see if there was, see if maybe your body was hungry or something. That those two things are, um, if you're feeling really off, 
are great places to start. Um, and then kind of make sure that you're stretching and standing up every hour um, and just noticing how your body is feeling. Uh, then, and this is all coming back to, um, you may have heard of before, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah. If our basic physical needs are met, then we're able to care more about our mental well-being mm-hmm. and higher levels of well-being. Um, and so always address the physical stuff first. I mean, in scripture all the time, people are always napping and people are always eating. I was going to say it's biblical, a snack and a nap that will get you through life. Correct. <laughs> Correct. There are so many biblical examples when people are going, I don't know how I feel. And everybody's like, take a nap or eat a snack. Yeah. And yeah, the, the greatest recovery tool for, so I'm doing my, I'm doing my run coaching certification and all the, Mm -hmm. all the run coaches and everything, you know, when they talk about recovery, the greatest tool in your recovery arsenal is sleep. Like if Mm -hmm. you're not, if you're not getting the, a good amount of sleep at night, your body's just not going to recover. And I think, mm-hmm. it, I, and we can bring that same understanding into our theology of self-care that if we're not recovering well, if we're not mm-hmm. caring for ourselves in that recovery, then what does that mean for the life that we're living outside of those times of care? And so, yeah, snack and nap. Like if, if I've had too little sleep or too little food, I'm grouchy, mm-hmm. mangry probably. <laughs> um, and yeah. so there, there definitely is, there definitely is that understanding of making sure that we're caring for ourselves at that base level, uh, and starting with that nature of recovery, right? It's sleep and, and eat. And then it, it really, like, what are those opportunities that you're taking, uh, maybe to, to disconnect, to put up those walls, to put up those boundaries, you know, is it going for a walk? We've talked about that on this podcast before of sometimes even just five minutes, uh, and like you were saying earlier, just five minutes out in nature uh, can can maybe get it going. It mm-hmm. starts moving the blood through through all the the vessels and starts getting things flow into the brain. And so we live and exist in that space to help us be able to grow. Um, because if we find ourselves working twenty four seven, we're just going to end up a hot mess, balled up on the floor in the fetal position. Well, and if we go back to this kind of like cell phone, iPhone analogy, um, because most of us are never apart from our phones. Um, so we can really identify with this. <laughs> um, if you are always running all of like the programs at all times yeah. and you are doing all the things, you are quickly draining the battery. Yep. And if you don't have a charger to plug in somewhere and recharge, your phone will die. Um, now I don't mean like physically all of a sudden we're all going to die if we we overwork ourselves. Um, maybe eventually not, that's not going to be the initial thing, but we are going to burn out. Mm -hmm. We are going to start, um, you know, when we use too much of that battery and it goes down into, you know, the, the red mode and it's kind of letting, you know, you got 20% left. Um, your body that's when the alarms start going off that like you're probably not eating much or you're eating nonstop because sometimes we eat our feelings and sometimes we lose all of our appetite. Mm-hmm. Um, we're probably not sleeping. We're probably, you know, it's, it, we're feeling the stress. I mean, our shoulders can be real high um, or real tight. 
that's that final warning of like, yeah. you got 20% left. Yeah. You better do something um, well, and then find a way to plug in. And we, and we wonder, we wonder why people are resigning from, from yeah. work, from, from vocation at like astronomical rates. And I mean, people will look at it and they'll say, you know, oh, we're not getting paid enough. You know, there's no value in it and stuff like that. But as I look at it, and even as I hear those excuses, I'm like, there's not space being created for the care of the self, whether mm -hmm. it is the inherent value that you have at work. Like, I mean, I often sometimes feel like I'm underpaid. I often feel like I am not, I don't have enough time to, to be able to recharge my batteries. And so, you know, it really gets you to that point of burnout where we feel like we need a change of something in order just to feel like ourselves again. And to mm -hmm. be able to name that and take that space. And we see people in society who are saying, okay, if my vocation won't let me take that space or won't give me that space in my life, then I think I need to move on. Um, mm -hmm. And unfortunately, it's, uh, unfortunately, it's made its way even, even into ministry, uh, even into the church, even into clergy, where we see clergy resigning, not, not maybe because their inherent value isn't understood, but because you know, many of us have been asked to take on roles that we never considered, right? And a lot of times um, what's happening also is that we have not engaged any intervention tools sooner. Yeah. So um, for United Methodist pastors in the book of discipline, yeah, that's like uh, our that is our and, that's our that's rules, our rules and, regulations and regulations as pastors. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> yes. For those non-Methodist listeners. <laughs> um, there is... Uh, for Methodist people, paragraph 350, go read it. Um, it is a long explanation of uh, rest and renewal, leave and expectations. Um, most people I know, United Methodist pastors, have not spent any time reading that section. What it is, is tells us that we have intervention tools at our fingertips to rest and renew um, once a week, uh, one week a year and four weeks every four years that we get to walk away mm -hmm. and do some rest and renewal. If you, and then every, every conference is a little bit different. Every like six or seven years, you can ask for an extended renewal leave. Yeah. Um, and that's anywhere from like six to 12 weeks. If you talk to most clergy, they have never utilized those resources. Mm -hmm. The number of people that are retiring early will say, I have never taken a renewal leave. Part of that is our culture, is that if, no, if nobody's modeling it, nobody else feels like it's granting them permission to utilize that. So us all taking breaks is giving, is permission granting to everybody else. Yeah. Um, but if we don't employ any intervention tools, no wonder we are self-destructing and ending, uh, ending things early, like walking away from all of our jobs, ministry or not early. Yeah, no, I mean, and it's, it's important that that's why it's important for us to know like what we're getting into. And one of the things mm -hmm. that I appreciated about my process in pursuing ordination was, was that stuff was told to us. Right. And I, and I, and mm -hmm. I, and I know that they, that you get told, 
all of that when you're in the process. But then, you know, it's one of the reasons that I've taken this on because like, and then you get out of that ritualistic process of, you know, when I was, uh, when I was in the process, I was meeting twice a year with colleagues and with people who are in leadership. And now I don't. Now I'm on my own as a pastor, somewhat with tenure, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't have that check-in unless I'm doing it with friends and colleagues. Uh, whether I call those who are in positions of authority in my conference and, and they kind of ask how things are going. And so, yeah, I mean, for anybody listening to this, like, know, like, know what it means to take a break. Like, know what it means mm-hmm. to take vacation. If you have renewal, if you have sabbatical, because those are going to be the tools in your arsenal that when you're starting to feel burnt out, before you're starting to feel burnt out, those are the tools that you want to be able to take. Those are the tools that you want to use throughout your vocation to make sure that you don't hit that point. And it's that self-care and it's that manner of, and, and, and I mean, whether it's related to physical activity, but I'll start to call it that this, this active self-care where we are actively participating in this self-care routine and self-care ritual that begins to define that nature of how we are able to perform in our vocation. Because even feeling burnt out, we can just feel tired. We can feel worn down. And I know I definitely had those points in the pandemic where like, well, I'm supposed to be pastoring, but like I can barely get through what I'm doing right now. Uh, and so oftentimes like, I would call it like I, it, you know, it'd be 11 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, you know what? I just need to call it a day. Um, mm-hmm. And I tell my administrative assistant, I'll be like, you know what? I just need to take a break. I'm going to head out. I'm going to go home for the day. Like if I'm starting to feel better this afternoon, like I've got my, I've got my iPad, which has all my work on it. Um, sometimes I'll open it. Sometimes I won't. I've tried to be very self-aware when I'm at home of like, mm-hmm. okay, no, I'm feeling good. Maybe I can get a little bit of work in or, you know, if my family's around and we're doing something, nope, iPad stays away. Like, like it stays down, it stays out of the way. Um, and so creating, again, creating those boundaries is what's going to help to develop that active, that active faith, that active self-care. That's the point of the podcast. I mean, I love using the manner of physical activity and relating it to how we are actively mm-hmm. caring for ourselves. And I think that that's what is at the heart. You know, I'm still, I'm only 22 episodes in and I'm still trying to figure out like what the heck this podcast is about. I think I'm going to be doing that for, for each and every day. Um, <laughs> But let's, let's, I mean, this is just great conversation. I could go about this all day long, Mm -hmm. Um, but let's, let's dive into these end of podcast questions and close out our time together. So Lindsay, what is something you have done that makes you feel accomplished? Um, That is real hard for me to think about. (laughs) Um, I mean, professionally, I, uh, I have felt really accomplished in like some of the projects that we've done, um, you know, starting, uh, an entire new, uh, kind of program and department about focusing on clergy well-being and getting more dialogue around it. Um, I, uh, I too, uh, have been podcasting and, uh, with a few colleagues, um, podcast is called not alone conversations on uh, faith and well-being. Um, and that has, uh, both been an accomplishment, I guess, somewhat professionally, but, uh, just has been like a really life-giving space for me to dialogue the same way that we're dialoguing today. Um, so even if something isn't fully produced, you can feel accomplished without an end, 
uh, product right there. Yeah, and to name that in your podcast, which I've 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 listened to a handful of episodes. You actually have. I found it. I found it funny because I just opened the podcast because I was trying to figure out what was the episode I listened to that I really loved. It was it was your back to back episodes on forgiveness. But then I just saw that your newest episode is on the Great Resignation. I'm like, it is. There you go. It right. is. <laughs> <laughs> so what you do, friends, is is you listen to this episode, you hear all this great talk from Lindsay, and then you and then head over to again. Not Alone, and you hear her. <laughs> And, and her co-host talk about the great resignation in more depth. Um, and you give us both five-star reviews on <laughs> Apple Podcasts. Yes. I, you know, I had to plug that in here. No, I'm kidding, folks. Uh, but, but really, yeah. No. Uh, so what is an upcoming goal that you have? Hmm. An upcoming goal? Uh... I don't know if it's as much a goal, but um, I'm currently uh, just trying to think through uh, my own self-care and summer vacation and thinking through all that. So I guess we sort of call it like a personal goal is that I want to put a few uh, a few kind of like markers in the calendar to make sure that before things get wild through the summer, leading into the fall of kicking things off, that I have already built in space. Mm-hmm. for me to rest. Who do you go to when life gets tough? Um, Aside from God. My... <laughs> I kind of see that as a given these days, uh, <laughs> hopefully. Um, I have kind of my inner circle of people. I have, uh, you know, about three or four people that uh, know that I can say everything to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when things get really tough, uh, we can kind of send a quick te- text, even kind of a quick SOS. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I have done that recently for a couple of them, uh, that there was something that I was processing and kind of sent them a quick SOS. I need to talk this out. Um, and, uh, yeah, sometimes it means, uh, just chatting with them and catching up about, you know, all sorts of things while sitting on the patio. Um, and sometimes it means uh, I laugh that I talked to a friend recently and I combined my active self uh, by running and calling her at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that I was like, both of these parts of my body have to u- be used at the same time. Um, <laughs> so I would say that my inner circle of people, uh, I make sure that I can go to them uh, to be able to process this. And both clergy and Mm -hmm. non-clergy. I think it's critical to make sure that uh, your inner circle is people that can see those um, different expressions of your identity to make sure that they don't only give you your answers meeting with your one identity. Mm -hmm. That's why it's also really helpful to have a therapist and every person should have a therapist is because your therapist is not in any of those relationships. Um, and so they're not looking at you only in one identity, mm. uh, perceived identity. They are looking at your core identity with you and helping you look at all those expressions. And then aside from physical activity, what are some other ways that you practice self-care? Hmm. During the uh, so I am a total extrovert and um, 
go I extroverts. Being... Woohoo! <laughs> and I love being with people all the time. Um, I would say in the last couple years, uh, when the pandemic uh, first started, um, I had a lot more me time than I'd ever had, um, which was really um, unsettling to me because I just wasn't used to that rhythm. Um, and so a lot of times I was like, how do I spend my weekends? Um, when I used to have them full of activities with people, um, you know, how all of our calendars were with the people that we love, they were just really full. Yep. Um, and so I started kind of spending my Saturdays sort of checking in with myself of like, okay, what would feed my soul today? It's kind of how I'd start my morning. Um, I, and so I learned how to make my own chai tea latte at home, enjoy that, um, then kind of look at the day. And normally I would go for a run at some point during the day. I would, um, I started sitting down to read a book, um, which I've always loved to read, but I think I've always felt intense guilt if I was going to read for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I have the day. What else am I doing right now? Um, and so I'd sit for a couple hours and read a book and just like give myself permission to not worry about anything on my to-do list. Um, and that is something that I'm trying to, as, as we're easing into what's probably going to be back to a busy summer the way it was, you know, three years ago, um, how do I take some of those rhythms of slowing down uh, and make sure that they still stay in place there? Mm -hmm. Because it really grounded me and uh, helped me be in touch with myself rather than having the days filled with just activities. And then all of a sudden the weekend was gone. Yeah. Well, that's great. It's, it's been great talking and unpacking all of these things. Lindsay, I want to thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. This has been so exciting to have this dialogue today. Definitely. Just another great conversation here on the podcast. I know that that did not seem like some of our other podcast episodes where we talk about an active lifestyle a lot more and maybe we dive into the running or whatever physical manner of activity there is. But I think that as we continue to unpack and develop this nature and theology of self-care, that there is more to self-care than just the physical. And it's not that I um, want to move away from the physical activity. I love highlighting the stories of how you all, uh, how folks are getting active, getting out there and doing something, right? It is that active form of self-care doing something that helps to care for yourself. For a lot of us, that's going to be running, and it, and it is for Lindsay. But also for some of us, it may look like something different. It may be something different. And I hope that I can um, maybe explore some of these with some folks. You know, as I'm looking for guests, I'm looking for those opportunities to explore uh, what manners of active self-care you are practicing. And so if you have a story that you would love to share, please, please, please reach out to me. I'm looking for guests. I'm a little 
little uh, behind on my recording, um, but we are going to be talking way, way more about some of this stuff. And so I encourage you to continue to come along for this journey as we continue to work and go together in finding this understanding of self-care in our lives. And so uh, as we wrap up this episode this week, I want to thank you so much for joining in this conversation. Thank you so much for being a part of it, for coming along this journey with Lindsay and I. Thank you so much for supporting this podcast by listening. Uh, Don't forget to check out those show notes. I'm going to have a little bit of information about where to find Lindsay on Instagram, on social media. And so check uh, check that out. Uh, Follow her. uh, See her journey. Um, And don't forget to join us over on the Active Faith Community on Facebook. Again, as always, that is a group where we can come together for encouragement and support. And then find this podcast at Active Faith Pod on Instagram and Facebook. Look at all the awesome things that we have going on. Make sure you follow and subscribe to this podcast. And please, 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 I am I am just looking. We are still looking for that first review on Apple Podcasts. And so even if you don't have an iPhone, you can still rate and review Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can do it on Spotify. So we're still looking for that first review uh, here in this episode. And so please, I would love it if you would leave one for me so that I can just hear how much you're enjoying this um, and all sorts of stuff. And you know what, if you're feeling really generous, if you just want to take the basic way of helping this podcast out, please go and share it with a friend. Uh, Share it with a friend and invite them to listen. And if you tag the podcast on social media, I will give you a shout out. So thank you so much for joining us today. And now may God bless each of us. And may we find ways to stay active in and for God's kingdom. Amen.